If you have your Bibles, it would be beneficial for us to look at the verbal keys to the kingdom. Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And then he said, I'm going to build my church. At the time that Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys, it is unlikely that Peter understood what those keys entailed. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and after the 40 days of visitation from the Lord, Peter spent multiple days, perhaps seven days, in a prayer meeting. And at the end of that prayer meeting, there was an explosion on the day of Pentecost, and Peter stood up to preach. And at the conclusion of his sermon, there was an inquiry. What shall we do? Or better said, how can we be saved? And then Peter preached the keys to the kingdom. This is the verbal explanation or the verbal keys uttered by Peter on the day of Pentecost. What shall we do? How can we be saved? What can we do with our lives? Are you ready? We're going to read this together. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, read with me, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm reading from our first page. It's called Imagine, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The room was situated on the second floor of a large house just west of the temple, for more than a week since the master had left, people continued to come and go from this one room. Barsabas stood on the broad balcony, observed the travelers on the street below making their way to the temple. Today was Pentecost. Though it was early, the street was already crowded. The sound of Peter's voice pulled him back into the room suddenly. He sensed the atmosphere in the room change. Peter's words sounded more urgent than usual. One minute Peter was speaking and the next he was worshiping. He was praising the master, just as though he was standing right there. Everyone joined Peter. 120 souls focused only on Jesus. Expectation permeated the atmosphere. Something was about to happen indeed. It was a strange, it felt as though Jesus was there in the room. All of a sudden, they heard the wind, a strong wind that seemed to shake the entire house. Their praises became louder as their voices erupted and worshipped and mingled with the rushing sound that had enveloped the house. Some who were sitting stood and reached to the sky as flames appeared above their heads. Some were so lost in the spirit they never even noticed the flames. Men staggering, appearing almost drunk under the power. Andrew had turned to face the wall, leaning into it for support and was weeping so hard his entire body was trembling. Thomas was shaking and praising God in a loud voice, but in a language none knew. Mary, quiet Mary, with many tears, could even be heard lifting her voice in worship. Barsippus jumped to his feet with hands raised as words of praise from another language he had never spoken before poured from his lips. Suddenly the large room was too small, 
as people swayed and moved and became lost in worship. Some of the 120 spilled out into the balcony, loudly praising God with words sent from God. Below on the street, a crowd gathered. (laughs) For those of you who are unfamiliar with the scene that I've just described, this is a wonderful moment in your life. For others that have heard this before, I'll offer a a thought of deepest imprintation. Many years ago, I can't believe so many years ago, there was a program where we would memorize Scripture. And when I started to memorize the Scripture, I was 12 years old in earnest to memorize. I'd memorized before then. But I struggled Because I would memorize the scripture or the verse, and then a day later, I could barely recall it. Two days later, um, I had to start over. Three days later, I didn't even know if I had ever heard that scripture. But through the years, uh, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, I learned how to memorize the scripture. Deep imprintation. So... I would memorize one line of the scripture, then recite it five times. Then I'd read it again. Then I'd add another line, and then I'd add another line. Until I had the entire verse memorized. I'd quote it to myself, had a little flashcard, turn it over, looked at the reference, quote it, turn it back, make sure I was saying it right. And I did that three days in a row. The same scripture over and over again. And the more I quoted the scripture the same scripture, the deeper the imprint. And what I know is that if I rehearse something on a continual basis, I remember that it's true and that I remember what it means. And most of all, I remember. Amen. And this is why it's good to get up in the morning and say to your spouse, I love you. You'll remember. Because if you don't say, I love you, you'll forget why you was ever married in the first place. Say it, I love you. If you're next to your spouse, tell them, I love you. Go ahead, right now, say it right now. What, what, what's the problem? This is a deep imprint. And so, one of the things that we've learned is, what is not spoken is forgotten. What is omitted is, is removed. And so, to rehearse Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is pivotal for us because it deepens the imprint in our life, in our mind. These are the keys to the kingdom. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible talks about a... A order of deliverance. Paul will do this on a number of occasions. Well, he'll say, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. At the time, the Greeks were ruling. They were the ruling nation. It was a Hellenistic period. But there was an order to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. The Jews had tradition. They had customs. 
Uh, they had the Old Testament. They had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Gentiles, the Greeks. They had none of that. They, they didn't know any of that. In fact, we don't know really where it all began, but, but probably the first Gentile to receive the word was an Ethiopian eunuch. And, uh, and then, then, then the partial Jew Gentile to receive the word, um, or at least a message of it, uh, it, it came from the planted seed uh, from, from Jesus, Acts chapter 4, and I'm sorry, uh, uh, John chapter 4 and Acts chapter 8, which was the Samaritan, the city of Samaria. And then finally, in, in Acts chapter 10, the, the Gentiles in, in earnest received it from the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile himself. But the Jews had all that we're going to speak about. Now, we're going to get up to the point where your book starts because this is one of the, well, Sister Shock not only wrote but compiled also a very well and concise study for us. And I'm just going to bring us to that page. And I think your page might be 76, uh, uh, maybe. And I'm going to bring us to that page into... The outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There's, a, there's an amazing thing that's happened in China. And in China, as I do more research in China, China was never invaded by a foreign country. They were only um, pushed through maybe twice from the barbaric hordes from the north, but they never traversed the Great Wall. So for 4,000 years of history... China was very secluded. Um, the barbaric hordes did not traverse the wall. They didn't get over the wall. They did get through the gates because a, a gatekeeper was bribed. In Chinese, um, um, in, the, in the older language, their language is, is, is described in pictographs. And, and when our missionaries have gone to China, uh, they've had great success in China. Uh, Dr. James Hughes um, spoke to me recently about the continual work of, of one man who really doesn't know much about uh, organized uh, efforts of the apostolic faith in America, but he has over 400 people that attend a second, third floor church in a building. They don't want to get found out, so everyone has a time when they can come to church. It takes them two hours for them to get into the building. Your family might be the first, but then the second family might take 15 minutes and 30 minutes later another group of people go in and two hours later they're all there, over 400 of them. We know from estimates there, there are well now over 55 million people that have been baptized in the name of Jesus in China. And one of the reasons why is because China has been kept, it's been kept. In the pictograph for, for a flood, there's a boat with, with the number eight around it. Um, Noah was saved in eight souls. A garden has two people uh, standing in, in, in what looks like vines. These are images of the Bible. Uh, from Ham, Sham, and Japheth, there's, there's derivatives of these, of these nations. And so the Chinese have been kept. Europe was overrun many, many times. And, and the bloodlines have been diluted Thousands of, 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 of battles and wars, mostly un, untold and unwritten. But China was unkept. And so when the Chinese are revealed the Bible, the Bible is in their language. It's kept. 
the Jews were also kept. The Old Testament led them to the New Testament. The law led them. But in the Old Testament, there are many indicators. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, search the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. For in them ye think ye have life, and they are they which testify of me. The prophecy of the birth of the Messiah was already written in the psalm. In fact, when Philip wanted to teach the Ethiopian eunuch about baptism, he spoke from the book of Isaiah. Use the book of Isaiah and describe baptism. In fact, it was so strong and so powerful that the eunuch said to Philip, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he went down and baptized him in the name of Jesus. It's a powerful thing that happened in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, there are types and shadows. These are things that were going to showcase what was going to happen in the New Testament. There were shadows of things to come. And the Jews had all of this. They, they, it was imprinted in their mind. Even the Passover, a lamb, the Passover. What was the Passover? It was the night of all nights. It was the 10th plague when an angel of death would visit every house that did not have the blood applied to the doorpost of their home. So God said, if you want the angel to pass over your home and not visit your home, because the curse was that the angel of death or, or this curse, this plague, that the firstborn would die of every home unless you took a lamb, killed the lamb, wiped the blood on the doorpost, went inside and ate and cooked the lamb and ate the lamb inside. Blood on the outside, lamb on the inside. Always. And if the angel came and saw the blood, it would not, it could not pass through the blood. It always passed over the house with the blood. Thus the name Passover. <laughs> and the Passover was the great escape because finally Pharaoh let the people go. Maybe around three million. We're not exactly sure. Three million people left Egypt because the final curse against those that were holding God's people was broken because there was death in their home. So they left Egypt and then they crossed the Red Sea. And when they crossed the Red Sea, 50 days after Passover, they got to Sinai, and God gave them a law. But that wasn't really what he wanted to do. In fact, the Bible says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I want to write my commandments on the tablets of your heart. 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. Watch how it happens now. It's in their history. It's in their making. Blood, death, the Red Sea. They were all baptized under Moses in the Red Sea water. And then the Sinai, the Spirit, comes down and gives the law. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost, a new heart with a new law written on our heart. And then after that, once again, imprinted, deep imprints, the deep imprint in their mind, God instructed Moses to create a tabernacle. I'll just show you a couple pictures of a tabernacle. The tabernacle of Moses. This is a, this is a, this is a very basic, rough sketch of the tabernacle of Moses. And in the tabernacle of Moses, there are three main artifacts, our main uh, stations. When you go through the first uh, gate, uh, an opening, you get to the altar of, of sacrifice. 
It's a large altar, seven and a half by seven and a half, four feet deep. Blood, there was, there was death there. The blood was taken from there. That's, that's death, that's repentance. This was in their history. It was in their account. And then the priest would, would, would gather the blood in one of those golden vessels. He would go to the next main uh, main station, which was, which was the laver. They also called it the molten sea. And they would wash there. And then into the holy place and all the way to the very back of a small golden glowing box. I'll show you another little cutout here of, of the tabernacle. Three main stations. And you got to this final holy place. But in the very back is the holy of holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant rested. And the blood was applied to the top of that Ark of the Covenant. Which was called the mercy seat. And the glory of God like a cloud would come down and consume the blood. And once a year on top of that mercy seat came the blood. And a cloud came. It was the, it was the glory of God. It was God that consumed the blood. Think of this now. When Peter got up to preach on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The keys to the kingdom were already imprinted in their mind. They already knew death means I must repent. Burial meant water, and resurrection meant spirit. It was already there. Amen. So when we think about this, this doctrine, this apostolic doctrine, and why do we call it the apostolic doctrine? Because Jesus gave it to the apostles and they preached it and they called it the apostolic doctrine or the apostles' doctrine. This is the life-saving message. This is not a denomination. This is not about a denomination. In fact, a denomination has nothing to do with your salvation. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're called. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. But denominations are not going to save you. Many people think that the denomination they belong to is going to give them entry into heaven. It won't. Even this denomination or church won't give you entry. This won't give you entry. I'm glad you're, you're a member of New Life, and I, I hope you're a faithful member of New Life. I hope you're a, a giving, serving, doing, working member. I hope you're a forever saint. But that won't give you entry into heaven. You must be obedient and obey the gospel because that's what Jesus said. Let's just stay right there for a moment because I feel like I need to stay here. Because a lot of people hang their hat on what church they go to or because they've gone to church for a long time. Do not fall victim to that. There's a trap there. You've got to be active in the kingdom. You must do something in the kingdom. Amen. There are a lot of Catholics that, that, that say that they're Catholic, but they're not Catholic. There are a lot of Pentecostals that say they're Pentecostal, but they're not Pentecostal. You've got to, you've got to do if you're going to be. Amen. And so... All of that culminated, and, and God said, look, I want you to offer a lamb every year, but through the Old Testament, their sacrifices became corrupt. In fact, finally, into the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, that last book of the Old Testament, they were bringing 
withered and, 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 and infested and diseased lambs. And those lambs, they were offering to God. But it was, the, it was the worst that they could bring, not the best. And finally, God was angry and he was, he was, he was through speaking. In fact, he stopped speaking for 400 years. The one page that separates your Old and New Testament is 400 years of silence. And finally, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to die as a lamb, and he did so on Calvary. He did so on the Passover. Think of this now. A lamb, the lamb of God, on the Passover. It's all right in front of them. Everybody should see it. The Jews ought to see it. But they failed to see the significance of the day. But after that, Jesus was buried, he rose from the grave on the third day, and then he was with his disciples for 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then he resurrected, uh, and then ascended, and then the disciples went off to Jerusalem to wait. Now let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 39. This is critical for us as we study this outpouring. Remember, Peter said, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus. For the mission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. The Holy Ghost is the promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise. The promise is the Holy Ghost. Before I get too far, I want to go to Luke chapter 24. And I want to just read a little bit of Luke chapter 24. This is what, uh, this is what Jesus said in Luke 24 and verse 47. He said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning where? At Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And then finally, in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, we just read this. He said that the Holy Ghost was the promise. The promise is and was the, was the Holy Ghost. It's, it is the resurrection. So repentance is the death. That's the, that's the altar. Baptism in water, that's the laver, that's the molten sea, that's the Lord's burial. And resurrection is what happened on the third day, and that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. So now, as we start to look through the scripture, we have to describe what the Holy Ghost is. What is the Holy Ghost? Well, the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. It is a new birth. It's when you start over. John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that thou art a good teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus bypasses all the formalities. He gets right to the, to the subject. He says to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you're born again... You cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus is confused. He says to Jesus, well, Lord, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus said, no, no, no. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again of the water and of the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. This is the gospel message. You must be born again. Water and spirit. Baptism and spirit. And the spirit baptism is what differentiates everyone in the world. Because when you are born again of the spirit, you understand the things of God. In fact, it's very hard to even understand the Bible until you are born again of the Spirit. That's the promise instilled in you, the Spirit of the Lord, and that is the new birth. You are born again. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are born of the Spirit. You're born of God. Now, there are some conjecture from some people who who would maybe maybe I could even say it a different way there is some confusion because sometimes people seek to speak in another tongue uh, but the Bible uh, clearly says that they sought for the Holy Ghost let's look at our page here the Holy Ghost is a gift it is a promise it's power but it is not tongues so Jesus said in Matthew 3 and 11, I indeed baptize you unto repentance, but he that cometh, I'm sorry, that's John, but he that cometh after I is mightier than me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So as, as you're seeking for the Holy Ghost, you have to understand you're seeking for the Spirit of the Lord. But the second sign or the, or the second point here is that the initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost is speaking in other tongues. I would, I would direct your attention to Acts chapter 10. And let's just talk a little bit about Acts chapter 10. Because I love, I love the way this is, this is described in the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, there was a, a certain man. His name was Cornelius. He was of the Italian band. I don't know exactly how you receive that, but it, that brings me joy. And you can take it for whatever it's worth. And he gave much alms to the people. And at the same time, Peter's in a different location. Peter has a dream. It's a vision. It happens several times. And Peter is not, uh, he's not very obedient. He, he doesn't really want to do what God has said. And uh, God has basically given him a vision about ministering to the Gentiles. And Peter is thinking, like most of the Jews are thinking, that the, that the message of salvation is not for the Gentiles, it's only for the Jews. But Peter takes a chance. He does not go by himself. He, he, he brings along some of the other Jews of the circumcision which have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he, here is this Jew. Here's all the Jews. They're going over to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Cornelius has all of his house together. And Peter begins to preach to them the gospel. He is now once again verbally declaring the keys to the kingdom. And Acts chapter 10 verse 44 says this. While Peter yet spake these words. That means while he was preaching. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. 
And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know that they had the Holy Ghost? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Let's just look at Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Uh, we'll, just, we'll read the first four verses rather. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this group that had been in prayer meetings, now speaking in tongues, spilled out into the streets, spilled out into Jerusalem. And all those people who had come for the festival of Pentecost heard them speaking. And at first they thought that these people were drunk. And Peter said, these are not drunk as he supposed, seeing as about the ninth hour, third hour of the day. And then they said, how do we hear every man speak in our own language where we were born? And they declared what language they were born. There was people from all over the known world. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Pontius and Phrygia and Asia. And Pamphylia, we hear them speak in our own language the wonderful works of God. They were speaking in other tongues. And Peter started to declare that this, what you're hearing, is what Joel prophesied probably about 700 years prior. He said, this is that, what Joel prophesied. Then the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And they would speak, they would prophesy, they had visions on your Sons and your daughters, your handmaids, that all be speaking in tongues, that all receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is what Peter was preaching that day. How do you know that you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Well, well, it's not just a warm feeling. The evidence of it comes when you begin to utter words that you don't know out of your mouth. Um, we don't. We don't. All, we don't like to miss church. And, and, and we had a little family time this last week, but Reagan turned the service on and we watched the service. And the evidence of the word was in this house on Sunday. And Brother McLeod was talking about the evidence. Amen. And three people on Sunday were baptized in Jesus' name and three people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we know that because three people were speaking in other tongues they had never heard or understood in their life. This happens because it's the evidence of something inside of you. Now, we don't, we don't train or teach anyone how to speak in tongues. But I want to declare to you what we do here in this house. When the Holy Ghost comes, it comes through praise, worship, and a yielding of your spirit. So first, you have to repent. Because the Lord is not going to fill with new wine into an old vessel. And to repent, it means that you die to yourself and you ask God to forgive you for all of your sins. And, and if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we have water and I'll baptize you tonight in Jesus' name. Repentance is like taking a bill and it, it marks out the debt of the bill. You say, Lord, I, forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to change my life. That's a death to the, to the self. It's a sacrifice to self, your old self. But 
but baptism is like taking that debt and burying it so it, 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 it as if it was never uh, accounted as a, as a debt to begin with. So first, you ask for, for forgiveness, and then we bury that in the water. And then you're ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, before they're baptized. That happens in the Bible, too. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, what I just read you, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the end of that story, the Bible says that Peter commanded them that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus after they had received the Holy Ghost. So whatever order you find yourself, the first stop, the first place is repentance, is to die to yourself, is to ask God to forgive you for all of your sins. And then you, you need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. The water in baptism, the Spirit in a regeneration of your life. It's when you worship. This is how the Holy Ghost comes in this house. When we begin to praise God and worship the Lord, we create an atmosphere where the Holy Ghost can move. That's why all of us who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we ought to be actively praising the Lord when we walk into the house. Sometimes your praise and your worship is for you. Sometimes you feel it because you feel good about yourself. Sometimes you feel right and, and, the, and, and the day is good and you got up good and, 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 and everything's going well. But that's not why we really ought to praise and worship the Lord. We do it because he's worthy. We do it because he deserves it. But watch this. Here's the third reason. We do it to create an atmosphere in this place. Let me just tell you about the culture of New Life Fellowship. We don't have any services to waste. We don't have any throwaway Sundays. We don't have any time when we get together and we just say, well, we're just going to have a little time and go home. No. We are creating an atmosphere because we don't know who just walked in that needs to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost today, tonight. Amen. So how do you know that you have the Holy Ghost? When you began to speak in other tongues. This is from Isaiah chapter 28. Verses 10 and 11. The Bible says. That with stammering lips. This is Isaiah 28 and 11. With stammering lips and another tongue. God will speak to his people. So. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You are thanking the Lord. Not begging him. You're thanking the Lord. For the Holy Ghost. Now. As I started to review this, and Tammy and I were talking about it today, she, she spoke about an altar work time, which we haven't done in a while. And it seemed fitting to me that I would just take a few moments and talk about working the altar or being one of the altar workers here at New Life. Um, there are a few things that we ought to do and a few things we ought not to do. Um, and some of the things we, we, we shouldn't do, we, we don't really know why we shouldn't do them, but, but we, we've done it maybe because we've seen that done. Um, and it looked like it worked. Well, let me just tell you, you don't give anyone the Holy Ghost by screaming in their face. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and when I worked the altar, I always made sure I had a mint. Because if, uh, if they were going to fall out on the floor... I wanted them to make sure that was the Holy Ghost and not halitosis. I've seen a lot of back rubs at the altar, intense back rubs. In fact, massage 
Envy has nothing on some of the people that I grew up with. And I've also seen people, when we, the Bible talks about laying on of hands, it doesn't mean that you have to put your hand on someone's forehead and push their neck all the way back. <laughs> Amen. I was in a service one time and we were praying for some people and a lady came up to get prayed for and a minister went over and prayed for her and, and she had some very, very troubling problems with her hip. And, and I went over to her later and I said, how are you doing? She said, my, my hip feels fine, but my neck now is hurting really bad because the preacher, I said, well, let's just pray. We'll hold hands. We held hands and we prayed. And I think she was still hurting because I didn't have enough faith for her neck. I don't know. But we ought to be praying. And when we're praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's good if one person gives instruction, and if you have the Holy Ghost, you ought to be speaking in other tongues the whole time. Amen. Because we're creating an atmosphere. Whatever atmosphere you want in this church, it's up to you, not up to me. I can preach and I can teach. I've shouted, danced, ran, jumped, rolled. I've done the whole thing. I've led the choir, taken up the offering. I usually give it back. I've done all kinds of stuff here. But if we're going to have an atmosphere in this church and the environment, it's up to the congregation. If you want the Holy Ghost to happen here, we got to speak in tongues. we got to worship until the Holy Ghost comes. Amen. And this is what happens. If you want to receive the Holy Ghost, you don't have to be standing, but that's a good time. You don't have to be kneeling, but that's fine too. You can be sitting. But if you come to the front and you're ready to receive the Holy Ghost... I always just say, let's repent, and afterwards we're going to lift up our hands and worship and surrender. And then I always ask the people to close their eyes because I just want them to concentrate on the Lord. And just begin to worship the Lord. I love you, Jesus. When you say the word hallelujah, that's the highest praise. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just do it right now. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. You are a good God. Now, just th- I thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for filling me even right now. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit in my life. I thank you, Lord, for changing my walk and my talk and everything about me. I thank you, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. In between the holy place and the holy of holies was a very thick veil. The veil represents the flesh. The veil represents a separation between me and God. When Jesus died on the cross, I read it this morning in my my reading. The veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And the Holy of Holies was exposed. And to get through the veil meant that you had to get through something. Sometimes... When we are seeking for the spirit in our life, we have to press through a bunch of stuff, a bunch of flesh, a bunch of issues. But it's worth the press. It's worth pressing through to get to God. And when you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'll know it because you'll speak in a language that you didn't know before that. Now, some people speak in a language of the angels. In fact, Paul Paul writes that, that it's the tongue of men and of angels. I've spoken tongues 
that I, that I don't think was a language and I've spoken tongues twice that was interpreted. I've, I've, heard, uh, I've heard someone speak in a language that they didn't know but I knew. I heard someone speak in English uh, but they didn't know what they were speaking. And so I know it's the language of, of men and I know it's the language of angels. So whatever language that is, when you receive the Holy Ghost, then that heavenly language comes and you begin to speak with other tongues and that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. If you go to page 77, there's one more, uh, one more point here and that is about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now Jesus said, except you're born of the water and the Spirit, You cannot enter the kingdom of God. I quoted that to you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, But you're not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So he's very clear that without the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. There has to be an infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because salvation demands the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is the resurrection. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 1 Corinthians six eleven. This is, if you have your book, you're following with me now. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit. How? By the Spirit of our God. This is critical that we know that the Spirit of the Lord is essential for our salvation. So thus, your, your last point, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is essential for salvation. Amen. I'm going to make a couple bold statements here, but they're biblical statements, and they're not from my own thought. No one is going to go to heaven who has not been, that has not been baptized in the name of Jesus and been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. According to the Bible, not a religion, not a denomination, no one is going to go to heaven without repenting, being baptized in the name of Jesus, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the Bible. Amen. That's the Bible. How are we going to be saved? Peter said, repent. You've got to die to your flesh. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What about baptism? Baptism is all through the scripture. Jesus was baptized as the perfect example for us. They were baptized. In fact, in Acts chapter 19 Paul was passing through the upper coast. He came to Ephesus. He found some of the disciples of John, and he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Believing is the first step. And they said, We don't even know what you're talking about. Acts chapter 19. And they said, We we didn't know whether there be any Holy Ghost. And then Peter said, How were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Think with me now. This is the deep imprint in the Jewish mind. 
in the Old Testament before you went into the, holy, in, into the temple to offer sacrifice or before you wrote any scripture. You went down into a pool of water. They would call it a mikvah. We've seen these all over the land of Israel. You walked down. You dipped yourself in the mikvah. Now you are ceremonial clean. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he was paving the way for Jesus. And he was baptizing all the people unto repentance. But he said, listen, there's coming one mightier than I. Do what he says. You need to be baptized in his name. So John was the bridge. John the Baptist is the human plank between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And John the Baptist was taking them from the mikvah, the ceremonial baptisms, into baptism of repentance, which dealt with the heart. But the real baptism was coming after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And in in Acts chapter 19, Paul said, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. And Paul described it. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And in Acts 19 and verse 5, when they heard this, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the next verse says, and then Paul laid his hands on them, and they all spake with tongues and prophesied. And the number of the men were 12. So this is a scriptural concept and command and directive to be born again of the water and of the spirit. Now I will say this is the doctrine of this church, but I don't I, I only say that as a as a, a relatable point because it's much greater than just this church. It's because we've adopted what the Bible has said. This is the doctrine of the Bible that we must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a rare thing here at New Life. For a child to get past seven, eight, nine years old and have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was just a couple of years ago that 11 of our children on Wednesday night were speaking in tongues for the first time upstairs in their worship center. Just a few months ago, four children upstairs received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in their kids' worship center. How did they do that? They were worshiping the Lord and the Holy Ghost came down like a cloud and they began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave the utterance. Amen. The Holy Ghost is essential for your life. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have access to the Lord. Now he has written his law in the tablets of your heart. Amen. I remember the first time I received the Holy Ghost. Um, I was at the altar and I was kneeling and my youth pastor was praying with me. I was eight years old. And I just remember saying, I love you. Father, I love you. I love you. And the next thing I knew, I, I woke up. I was just laying on the floor on my back. And I was speaking in tongues. It was, I don't know how long I was there. I woke up speaking in tongues. One lady in our church a few years ago, one, one of the young couples, she wanted the Holy Ghost, but she was very afraid. And she was praying for it. She went to bed praying for it. She called Sister Tammy the next day. And she said, I got to tell you what happened. I woke up this morning. When I woke up, some words were coming out of my mouth. As moment I woke up, words were coming out of my mouth. What was that? That was the Holy Ghost. She was. She woke up, speaking in other tongues for the first time as the Spirit gave the utterance. Amen. 
When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak in other tongues. You're going to speak in other tongues. It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. You're never going to want to stop speaking in other tongues. Because that's the Holy Ghost just coming out of you. And as you praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit just, it envelops your whole life. It'll lead you. It'll guide you. It'll provide power for you. Let me just make the declaration. When someone asks what kind of church this is, it's a spirit-filled, spirit-led, Holy Ghost church. That's what kind of church this is. It's not a man-made church. It's not a man-made church. It's a Bible church where we believe what the Bible has to say. And it's a church that believes in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We need to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You need an outpouring of the Holy Ghost every day of your life. You need to have that. We're watching the service on a little iPhone on Sunday. And while Brother McLeod is preaching, the Holy Ghost came into our room while we were in, the, in the kitchen where we were at. And we, we began to feel the Spirit of the Lord. And I began to just walk around the room speaking in other tongues. Because wherever I'm at, the Holy Ghost is inside of me. It's in the car. He's with me in the car at home. Wherever I'm at, the Holy Ghost is there. Let me just say to all the seasoned saints, we're never going to get smarter than having the Holy Ghost. We're never going to have enough to have more than the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is what we're after. We have to have a birth and a rebirth and a continuation of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to have. My grandfather, uh, his name was Destuch Farino, and he, he, we loved going to Grandma's house, and he would put pasta on our plate and they, the first time I heard it, I didn't know what to say. He would say, what's, what's better than pasta? What could you say? It was nothing better than grandma's pasta. And then he'd put another help in. He'd say, more pasta. <laughs> what's better is more. And I feel about that way about the Holy Ghost. What's better than, than the Holy Ghost? It's nothing better than the Holy Ghost. It's more of the Holy Ghost. When you wake up in the morning, you should have more of the Holy Ghost. Probably we'd be in tune with the Holy Spirit, but we got a lot of other things we're paying attention to. I'm a little distraught that the whole nation is paying attention to things that don't matter. Celebrities and their lives. I can't, I, I, I can't even pull up a website without seeing what the celebrities are doing. And I'm thinking, that has nothing to do with my life or God or the kingdom. But people are engrossed today. They're engrossed. Because a trial has finally come to a conclusion. It means nothing to you, but people have spit their emotions on that kind of stuff. I want to stand up and say, we need more Holy Ghost in the church, not less Holy Ghost. We need more speaking in other tongues and more spirit than... Pardon me if I get a little preachy here, but I, I'm a little concerned that, that, that the word becomes a little trite to us because we say, well, we've already done that. Let's just go on to something else. There is nothing else to go on to because it's the Holy Ghost that's going to resurrect you in that day. And you've got to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. And the Holy Ghost to be healed from this life into heaven. Let me just, let me, let me, un, let me unpack that. The greatest healing is not for your body or your mind or your emotion. The greatest healing is when you get a glorified body. And the only healing that you're going to get, they're going to have that's matter is going to, if you get from this life to that life, from this earth to heaven. I grew up with a lot of wonderful, talented people in my 20s and 
and a little bit of my early 30s, almost a few, and there was a report of one of my friends, highly talented, very, very talented, musically talented individual. And he, he was in the car with, with, with another friend of mine, and he was trying to tell them, no one needs the Holy Ghost. Just, just believe in God. That's all you need. That's not what his father taught him. His father didn't teach him that, but somehow he feels enlightened. Let me just tell you, you're not enlightened. When you dismiss the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, you're not enlightened. In fact, you're in a great deficit. When you dismiss the power of the Holy Ghost, you're in a great deficit. You didn't grow up. God didn't give you more revelation. In fact, because you didn't love the truth, he probably stripped you of the revelation. I would say, get back to the Holy Ghost. Stop trying to be fancy and professional and think you got it all figured out. Go back to the Word. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Sometimes when we didn't know what to pray, we just prayed until the Holy Ghost came and we just spoke in tongues over a situation because we didn't know what to say and we didn't know how to pray. So we just spoke in tongues until we had a release in the Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit makes groanings and makes utterance groanings that you don't understand. So when you receive the Holy Ghost and you don't know what to say, you just pray until you get in the Spirit and you begin to speak with other tongues and God does the work for you. This is, a, this is the promise of the Father. He gave us the promise. It's a new birth. It's a sweet thing. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. I'll just conclude this. I, I, I heard this many, many years ago, and, and, and I dug around for it in, in, in archives. I've, I've struggled to find it, but I do trust the individual who first spoke it. I believe, that, I believe the state was, was in the Carolinas, one of the Carolinas, north or south. And a family that was struggling, they didn't have much. They, they, in fact, they had very little, and they relied upon uh, the, the working of their grandfather. He, he was the breadwinner, and they had a, a rickety home. They had a fireplace that heated their home. And he would collect a bunch of things from the yard and different places he'd find and bring him. He didn't really hoard, they said, but he just had all kinds of little things. And when he died on his deathbed, he told the kids, don't throw away all that stuff that's on the mantle. Go find out what, what it is. They took some of that. It's been there a long time. And one of them was a big jagged rock. They, they brought it into someone and they found out that, that it wasn't just a rock, but there was a diamond inside of it. And it was the value at the time was just a little under $3 million. Guess when they got their joy? <laughs> Not when they got the rock. They got, it, they got their joy when they found out its worth, its value. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you won't really know what you have yet. When we grew up, we used to sing a little song that said, it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. I didn't realize what I had when I first received the Holy Ghost. But in dark times and lonely times, or when I need power and authority, 
It's been getting better and better. I, I, I found out it's worth a whole lot. In fact, it's worth more than I ever thought it would be worth. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Just stand with me right now and lift up your hands and just say, Lord, fill us one more time with the power of the Holy Ghost. Out of your mouth, just begin to praise him. We worship you now, Lord. We give you praise and glory, Lord.